Hello and welcome back to OT and Chill, all things occupational therapy with me, Kwaku. Working in the criminal justice system can be challenging but rewarding at the same time. Often the people I encounter and work with have had adverse or difficult lives. Of course, this is not used as an excuse for the crimes they have been found guilty for, but it can, however, provide some understanding as to why they may have ended up engaging in these behaviours. From both a personal and professional viewpoint, I firmly believe that occupational therapy can have an impact in the prison environments and also in the criminal justice system in general. I'm also very aware that there is limited evidence from the occupational therapy field to back this up and I really hope this can change with a slight increase in OTs working in this space. Although not research, I felt it would be beneficial for the profession to put together a mini-series on this podcast exploring what occupational therapists are doing in this area, the challenges they face and the opportunities available. So to kick this off, in this episode I speak to two occupational therapists, Charlotte Wise and Katie Hanekar, about their roles working in mental health within the prison setting. Let's get right into it. So I'm currently in HMP Berwyn, which is the super prison in North Wales. So I'm a specialist occupational therapist there. At the moment, my role is kind of split between having OT clinic days and then also three days a week being a mental health practitioner within the mental health team in the prison as well. My background really before I came into the prison service was like secure forensic mental health settings. So similar for men who've committed crimes, but also under the Mental Health Act, they're deemed more appropriate to be in hospital setting rather than prison setting. I feel like a lot of the men I've worked with in secure settings had come through the prison system as well and spoke to me as a therapist at the time about their struggles within the prison environment. There's a lot of mental health needs more than anything they were saying. So I kind of wanted, I was quite curious to see it from the other side and see if there was anything as a therapist I could work with and put in place within the prison environment to improve people's quality of life within the prison and see if there was anything we could do within our profession as OTs to try and help reduce reoffending really and support, support people better than they previously have been in prison. My interest started when I was still studying as well in Glyndor University and I either bravely or stupidly put myself forward and ended up spending a month in a Nepalese prison volunteering there, setting up like a pilot scheme for future volunteers there so that kind of got my passion going for working in that environment really. You're gonna have to tell us a little bit more about that because that's <laughs> that's really interesting. Never been, uh, you know I would love to uh, really visit other uh, prisons around the world and see how how the men or women in those prisons are you know uh, yeah. handling it so yeah we can we can expand on that a little bit for us a little bit later. What, what about you Charlie? How, what What's your current role and how did you managed to find yourself into it? Well, it's quite similar to Katie, really. I used to work in secure services and kind of saw the job in prison of where I've wanted to work for a while and just thought it was a different environment and a different opportunity to kind of implement OT where it wasn't necessarily known really well. Um, And it's still a back rowing area um, of practice. So my current role is an occupational therapist but it used to be a care coordinator so it used to be having I think similar to what Katie said really is sort of a mental health practitioner so having people on caseload really and generally care coordinating them making sure they've got everything they need from medication to occupational needs I guess and it could kind of span from anything um, but since the contract got taken over where I work I was allowed to be more of an OT I guess and um, become an OT specifically so that was a really positive thing but within that led challenges in itself and kind of you know developing that role as OT and not slipping back into the care coordination what I've been doing for such a long time um, and kind of being generic and that that was quite difficult really and to hold your own in, a, in an MDT which is where there's limited AHP presence and you're usually the only um, AHP in the team so yeah it's been quite difficult but it's been fun. And it's obviously fun because I'm still here, so. (laughs) 
No, that's good to hear. It's a good. It's, it's a, such a contrast into both of you and my role, but it's it's exciting. It's, I'm, I'm I'm just really happy that there's occupational therapist in prison services mm-hmm. working because there is a real need for it. You know, there is a real need for actually many allied health professionals to be working in, inside the, inside the prison because the similar experiences that the men experience inside is what the general population. In, um, outside experience and you know a prison is uh, maybe a deprivation of freedom but it's not it's not a stoppage to your rights to access to healthcare and and everything along those lines uh, so with to both of you what is your typical i'll start with charlie what's your typical day like um, now that you're an occupational therapist in, in the prison setting does it is it quite different to when you was doing your care coordinating role um, I think it is because I get the more time to do some of those things that I've wanted to do so I can set up more individualised intervention plans as opposed to kind of just seeing people for a chat and in inverted commas I can kind of catch up with people and offer that time, offer more time. So often my day, obviously ruled by the prison regime as well, um, I can see about one, two or three people in the morning with two or three people in the afternoon to give them sort of a good 45 minutes hour appointments and do some therapeutic interventions and think, sort of said before, that a lot of my interventions can be more um, psychosocial-led, so more of anxiety-led, anxiety management or managing emotions work as opposed to occupational focus. And I think that's probably an area where I need to look, evaluate my own practice, where we need to look at more introducing some of those OT roles, like OT roles and OT specific stuff that I could do. No, that's good. I suppose it's a start, isn't it? Sometimes we just have to find our way in before we start making changes, right? (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's a detriment to our own success sometimes because we do well on some jobs, like somebody does really well from coming off medication because they've done your anxiety management programme. Then everyone's like, you must be amazing at anxiety (laughs) management. And you're like, yeah, it's not really what I'm meant to do, though. But, you know, and it's just about spinning that in a way of like, you know, obviously if someone's can overcome their anxiety then they can function better mm. with the prison regime so it obviously affects their functioning which is good yeah, fantastic their functioning. fantastic what about you katie what's, the, what's your typical day like in the prison at the moment you know you've got two posts so it might, i don't know if uh, it differs <laughs> um so at the moment i literally have two days monday and uh tuesday for ot so there i've been around the prison regime like charlotte said as well seeing two or three men in the morning and in the afternoon and doing a lot of um, work a lot of assessments coming through at the moment really functional assessments a lot of cognitive assessments and trying to plan further sessions for a bit more intervention work with the men and then three of my days i've been doing the care coordinator role really seems to be a lot of meetings <laughs> um, but we're trying to link in with with the prison service themselves so we attend like the safe they have safer custody team that mm. uh, we're trying to work alongside with uh, mental health and ot really so we use it as communication and also to kind of devise plans for supporting the men more so within our roles i'm in a bit of a weird time at the moment because like charlotte said she started off doing a bit more of the care coordinator role our service is getting reviewed at the moment um so i'm i am trying to push push hopefully fingers crossed for December to try and have more of an OT specific role rather than doing the care coordinator role it's quite different you can't you try and plan your day as best as you can but I find in this environment it's very unpredictable and things come up in the moment so you kind of have to rejig your day a little bit and be a bit more flexible you have to be very flexible and adaptable to what's happening yeah Yeah, i think i find you go on on onto one of the communities to see one of the men and you might bump into a few officers who ask you to do little things or direct you to a man they they feel needs support or if you bump into some of the men you've worked with as as well and they recognize you with the ot green trousers on and (laughs) you kind of end up getting pulled in 10 different directions so yeah, very, very different day today, I find. So do, do you do you have to wear your uniform, yeah? I do, unfortunately. The first ever job I've had where I've had to wear the green trousers. Wow. <laughs> Charlotte, do you, do you wear um, a uniform as well? <laughs> no, I don't wear a uniform. I just like the crazy person that walks around in crazy trousers. 
I can't really hide because of the trousers. So, <laughs> so in in a way, actually, in, in a strange way, wearing a uniform can can sometimes be of benefit in that yeah. environment because the people can identify you as the occupational therapist, which is which is uh, important. But then at the same time, I don't know if uh, wearing a uniform also guys might perceive it as you know that professional mm. boundaries and all that kind of not yeah. not that it shouldn't but you know it can't it can't because i can't i cannot imagine wearing a uniform to work that is no, <laughs> the first time ever in mental health i've ever worn a uniform and i've always felt like it puts a bit of a barrier off mm. definitely mm. but mm. thinking about just moving on from there we're talking about some of the challenges um i know we've already mentioned about the regime uh, people might not understand what when we use the word regime and i was having a discussion with my colleagues at work actually how some language that perhaps uh, is used in prison services can be quite harsh can be quite authoritarian you know like words like regime I mean in, in the community no one uses words like regime <laughs> and especially in occupational therapy we, we try not to use that word I don't think I've ever heard it to use that word and we, we probably talk more about routine rather than mm-hmm. rather than regime so yeah talking about some of the challenges what are some of the ones that you face Katie in your um, day-to-day working and um i feel it a lot around the routine of the prison with the men having to be accounted for at certain times so that can impact your flexibility a little a little bit a lot of security i guess security restrictions that you'd have to security is always kind of at the forefront of your mind as well as therapy um more so than any other setting i feel i've worked in before and being able to because of the environment it is a challenge to work with people's occupations as much as you would maybe in different, different areas of work. I think you touched on it earlier on Quaker as well about occupational deprivation being a big factor within the prison environment. Generally, because of the restrictive environment, people are deprived of their usual occupations, their links to family members, community resources that maybe you would be able to draw upon mm-hmm. in other areas of work. I think one of the challenges of the environment is the impact on the men's mental health mm. particularly mm. if they've come in already with mental health difficulties and then to be put in this restrictive environment can impact that more so yeah. um i found something the other day i'd not really thought about when i went to do a, a functional assessment with the with the gentleman and in the community he would be reliant upon using oxygen tank a lot at home and I'd never thought about it really but because he was in the prison environment that wasn't actually allowed so there's there's things that people rely upon that you feel actually yeah that makes it it is tough it is tough what about yeah. you sorry what, what, what are some, some of the challenges that you face that might um, differ from KT's ones I think like we've said quite in detail about sort of the environment but about the lack of resources so like when we're talking about functional assessments and functional skills it's really hard to kind of assess some of those things because we don't have, you know, if someone says they can't do something, it's really hard to be like, well, we don't have a standard washing machine or we don't have a therapy kitchen that we can use. Well, we don't here anyway. Um, so that can be really hard to kind of say, well, we'll help develop those skills because the only thing I can help you use is, you know, how to use a microwave or what's available on the wing, like a cheese toasty machine or something like that. Um, so I think that can be a real struggle. And I think sometimes, like Katie's mentioned about the sort of the multi-agency factor, but just how we link together. I think, you know, sometimes healthcare want to do one thing and the prison and stuff, we have to follow their rules and do another thing. And that can create some conflict sometimes about what we can and we can't do for the lads. And that's quite difficult sometimes and quite difficult for your own professional sort of outlook and viewpoint because you have to almost sometimes say there's just nothing we can do what I would like to do and what I can do are two different things and I think that can be quite tough Um, and the other thing that I is a personal challenge for me working in this environment or just in general working is because I've changed my role um, from care code to OT, it can be really hard not to generally fall back into that generic role because it's there and it's so easy and that's what I've learned. And I think sometimes that's really tough and I've got no one kind of bouncing ideas off. I've got no one to say, oh gosh, I'm not being an OT anymore. I'm kind of just, I realise and think, gosh, I've been sitting here working really generically for a couple of weeks, not really realising what I'm doing. And that can be quite tough at times. And I find that quite difficult with myself, really, and just kind of my professional role, um, if that makes sense. 
no that makes absolute sense i suppose what would that's why we know it's, it's it's really good to have like little forums like this to talk about it because in general you don't find many occupational therapists in prison services so it's true you won't have a, a big ot team just to turn around and say oh this has happened this has happened and yeah. then you get advice from someone straight away so you could you do have to rely on yourself and you're right i, I can imagine how it's e- it would be easy just to do some of the things that you were doing before because maybe uh, a lot of people around you don't recognize your role that well even though you you know what you're meant to be doing <laughs> but because yeah. a lot of people don't recognize it you just fall back into it really really easily so that's um that's something i suppose with my uh, role it is a generic role in, ge- in general um so we're always trying to make sure that we well myself and my senior ot we're always trying to make sure that we pushing the OT agenda mm. um, because if you don't then you, you you could lose that quite quickly but yeah. I, I know that my colleagues really appreciate that the OT import in different aspects of the service mm. if they're really struggling with someone in terms of the maybe the activities of daily living yeah they, they, they you know they, they will definitely uh, approach us and support us in that thinking about that thinking about roles and identity uh, and professional identity and everything like that how how do the prisoners and the prison in general prison officers and other colleagues in the prison view your role as an occupational therapist do some of them know about it do, do any, some of them understand it um, apart from your healthcare apart from your, your MDT the wider prison service Katie I feel like some some of the officers get it but more so in the traditional physical OT side really if I do tend to get any referrals through from offices it tends to be in terms of people's mobility or rooms I find some of some of the men themselves seem to have a better idea of what OT is rather than even rather than the healthcare staff really especially if they've been kind of in with within mental health services themselves before they've had that kind of link with OT so that's, that seems to work quite well probably probably the best spokespeople for <laughs> explaining to other people what OTs are and some of the men get them on board <laughs> I, sp- I suppose that's a that's a job well done if the men the people that you're actually working with understand your role that's that's really important because they're the ones that you know they're gonna, they're gonna get the direct interventions I know the officers also assist in everything else you're working with everyone but if the men do understand it I've got an understanding of the role that's that's amazing what about you Charlie yeah I think there's um, a view of my role but I think it can just be seen as quite a generic uh, mental health worker and when I'm on the week because I've not got that identity like Katie wearing the uniform or like we're all all the secondary mental health team are in civvies so it can be that we're all kind of the same and people will often be like oh I didn't even know you know I just thought you were a nurse or whatever so I think it can be quite hard but I think like Kate said about the the lads know what we do is, is really helpful and a way in, um, I guess. And that's something that I think I need to do more of, like promote who I am and my role. So people are aware of the different things that is offered. Um, and I do spam people a lot on like OT week and send out loads and loads of OT paraphernalia about, you know, and they're probably thinking, where has this come from? But I do try and do some of that just to kind of improve people's knowledge. But I think, you know, I think general prison officers might not know, but I think like, you know, governors are aware of different things that I do that might be different. And I think that's really good, but it's about tackling that bit in the middle as well, isn't it? You know, the structure. No, no, you're right. You're right. hundred percent. Just want to focus a little bit on, you know, our use of occupation. I know we've touched on it before. It's, you know, it's a very restricted environment. I don't know what you guys, your prisons are like, but in general, prisons in general are quite restricted in terms of what you can even bring in to the prison or what you can take out of the prison or, you know, where, where in the prison you're allowed to go, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. how do you try your best to be as occupation focused in your practice in such a restricted environment? How do you, how do you go about that, John? I guess that I just, I guess I very loosely, <laughs> I feel a bit guilty saying this about when I'm meant to be an occupational therapist and not a psychi- psychologist. I think I lo- very loosely kind of link my role to OT and being occupational focused in, like I say, trying to improve someone's mental well-being by doing anxiety management, making that as structured as possible, but also make it as sort of active as possible. And then also kind of link that to trying to make someone function better in the in the environment we live in. And um, so if that's even by coming to healthcare for an appointment or going well when 
lads can go to work or education by using that as well because I think sometimes our roles it can be so hard to kind of implement something in such a big age a big system that we've got like the prison service because there's so much going on from other agencies so yeah I think that's probably like like I say I feel like I'm such a generic worker that I've kind of lost my OT focus sometimes but I do try and um, just help people become more OT focused in doing them them um, occupations, I guess, and by doing them interventions. Yeah, I think I think it's one of the things because it's such a restricted environment. You know, sometimes occupational therapy we are creative and we can be as creative as we can. But when <laughs> when the environment is so restricted, sometimes it really hinders our, our work, doesn't it? So yeah. it, it really makes it difficult to remain occupation focused all the time because some of the things that the, the men might say that they want to do, you know, you definitely can't. <laughs> you definitely can't yeah. do it. What about you, Katie? What? How do you try to remain? occupation focused in your practice it is a challenge definitely I think like like you've both just been speaking about trying to make links when I'm planning interventions with the men and their short-term goals trying to integrate the gym staff education and work opportunities available to the men really before Covid started I think that we were trying to actually strengthen those links with work and education yeah to help better support <laughs> the men in those roles. I think that's the main way of working occupationally with, with the men at the moment. I think that potentially, sorry, I'm just interrupting him. No, no, go ahead. I, I think potentially, like you say, making them links with like education, with the gym, you know, increasing people's routine, daily routines and yeah. some occupational balance. I think COVID hit, you know, the COVID restrictions, especially where we are at the moment, and I believe probably most of the prisons in the UK, or especially England, are on that sort of no work, no education, limited work, limited education, 23-hour lock-up, bang-up, whatever, creates a really real difficult challenge for us. I know I've had a lot of referrals recently about people aren't getting the occupational, well, they don't say occupational balance, but aren't getting that occupation. And trying to think of that creatively is really difficult, especially in that, like you say, restricted environment where we've got limited resources ourselves and trying to think of things we can do and try and motivate people because I don't know personally how motivated I'd be. Really difficult. I'd spend six months in a cell. Yeah. yeah, you know, that's really challenging. And that's what I wanted to ask one of the questions I had for you. How did you guys, how did COVID, COVID, COVID-19 <laughs> impact on your work in prison? And, and I think you just touched upon it, but did you receive a lot of, did you see a rise in um, people's mental health difficulties or just in general, how people were behaving in the in the prison setting, Katie? Uh, definitely a rise in mental health concerns from the men. Reduction in violence and drugs for um <laughs> <laughs> An increase in um, mental health and huge brewing, actually, where we are. We changed in terms of, I don't know if it's the same in every uh, prison, but the men in Berwyn have in phones in their room and also a laptop with intranet. So we went to trying to do a lot of triage calls and some assessments, if possible, over the phone with the men. And we actually, the mental health team was struggling at the time with providing support to men for a lot of anxiety and depression. Um, so we managed to actually find some resources and able to download, upload them, download, <laughs> upload them onto the men's laptop so they could still access some kind of self-help and workbook material in their cell. But I guess with the, with the telephone way of working, it is quite limited, isn't it? Especially if you're trying to do mental health assessments with men, there's only so much you can kind of pick up from speaking to someone over the phone especially with them sharing cells as well. So a lot of the time they're not wanting to actually speak openly when they're sharing a room with somebody else. A lot of, a lot of challenges, really, I feel. Um, a lot of the mental health referrals that are coming through, it's trying to explain to the men as well, kind of normalise how they're feeling right now because of the impact of, I guess, the whole population with, with COVID. It's not just, not just them feeling that way right now. And... So Jason, what about you, Charlie? I was going to say, Katie, don't say you've got laptops and phones in your rooms. Everyone will be wanting a transfer. <laughs> We've got four phones for 60 lads, for 100 lads or whatever. Yeah, they're, cool. yeah, they're quite lucky in that way. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of transfer requests as well. Um, so I guess that's the thing, really. I mean, Katie, 
now I'm going to say Kate's lucky to be in the in the environment that she's in is probably the lads are a little bit more fortunate and got a little bit more resource than they have mm. I mean where phones are on the limit they only they only get a certain amount of time to use their phone to use the phone downstairs and they share that with the lads the other lads on the wing so you know it's a difficult one I think that in itself raises problems because when we can finally, when we've been finally seeing people face to face, it's meant that, you know, our appointments can clash with the association, their free time. And obviously I, I know myself, if that was a t chance to see me or ring my, ring my family, I'd rather ring my family. I think that would be true for most people. So I think it's led to problems there. I think we've thought creatively, I know myself tried to think creatively how we could offer still occupational balance and occupational activities in their cells so I've been creating a, a lot of distraction packs the photocopier does not like me very much because we're still pen and paper <laughs> and you know and trying to offer people things that way and you know some people will find that very childish and find that like why would I want a word search when I'm 40 years old but for some people it's been really helpful and we've been able to continue to offer serves sort of that sort of thing with us photocopying and printing things off the internet and kind of offering some of that support. I imagine probably there's a lot of cells in our prison that have got a lot of paper in, so I would hate to see if there was, there's probably fire risks going off all around the place and it's probably paper that I've supplied. Yeah, I think that's how we've kind of thought about it really and kind of thought how to work around COVID. And I think, you know, there's been some positive things to come out of it that, if there is positive things in regards to, you know, us thinking more clearly about what we want to do, me creating that, you know, I'm not usually, I've been working quite generically, but how can I be OT and how can I set myself different from everyone else now? Because this is my time to be like, look at OT, look what we can provide, one man band. And, you know, well, and we've done, you know, I've been trying to promote things and get things off like the Twitter feeds and things like that. And I know that everyone's been sharing various bits and bobs yeah that's been tough and i'm i'm in my setting i'm fairly fortunate as well because i think the, the young men have got intel telephones um and also because of their age they don't actually share um cells so each mm -hmm. every one of them has got um single cell so that's po a positive thing uh so throughout covid again they were locked up for very long periods of time and um, which definitely affected some people's mental health but mm -hmm. on a positive like katie was saying there was a, a massive decrease in uh, violence mm -hmm. um there was a massive decrease in, in you know and drugs as well so there are some positives <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know how long that's going to last for until because ultimately covid is not going to be around forever i hope not anyway um <laughs> but for, for but during the, the lockdown the height of the lockdown uh, we did use um telephones to communicate with the young men and that I, I think that they appreciated that quite a lot because you know imagine being stuck in your soul the only thing you've got to do is like uh, watch television you know mm -hmm. um read and also if you don't have enough credit on your phone you can't really communicate with your family so all these things can have an impact on them and you know all of us I think a lot of people during COVID in the community anyway I found it difficult having to be at home all the time you know you have to find new things to occupy your time and not not you know not have that impact on your mental mm -hmm. health so no that's I'm glad to hear that both of you you know try to do things to help them uh, manage their time through COVID so thinking about covid again and and also the the whole prison setting you know there was a lot of occupational deprivation anyway prior to mm -hmm. covid happening what impact do you think that specific concept of occupational therapy has on the prisoners that you work with and what do you do what do you think we can actively do as occupational therapists to avoid the major impacts this could have on the men when they eventually leave the prison setting Katie, what do you think? I feel like occupational deprivation has an impact on a lot of the men's kind of sense of identity and their confidence and self-esteem, motivation. And I think a lot of them explain kind of losing interest in things that previously they'd enjoyed doing in the community. Interestingly enough, I, I know when um, Berwyn first opened in 2017, there was a push for it to be very 
kind of recovery rehabilitative. So they try to use words such as men and rooms and get rid of the use of prisoner cell and of the language that's always been used in the prison environment. But interestingly enough, a lot of men didn't actually like this. And when that was explored, kind of the role of a prisoner, some of them actually like to have that kind of link with that identity, if that makes sense. I've gone completely off. No, you have it. No, you have it. I, you no, know, it makes it makes absolute sense. I, 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 when you talk about how that, if if you're if you've experienced that um, deprivation for a long time, it has an impact on your on your identity, doesn't it? So actually, it's difficult to then try to turn around the other way <laughs> to become to like humanize the person or um, uh, uh, treat the prisoner as <laughs> as another another member of society just because it's in a prison they might not respond well to that and I suppose it's that's the difficulty isn't it because eventually like I said before eventually these men are going to come out aren't they <laughs> they're going to leave the prison yeah. setting so how are they how is that then going to impact on their identity when no one is um, responding to them as a prisoner you know mm-hmm. how do you then approach certain situations because no one is there to lock your door <laughs> at, mm-hmm. at night no, no one is going to be holding the keys no one has much power over you yeah you might be restrictive in certain uh, places and things that you do but actually a lot of the times when you are in prison things are done for you in a strange yeah. way a lot yeah. of things are done for you in a str- <laughs> so actually mm-hmm. you get used to it yeah. so you don't want to lose it if people try saying right why don't you do this why don't you do that which is in a way quite de-skilling you know yeah. we talk about people being de-skilled in prison settings and that's yeah. because that's what happens out with that deprivation to mm-hmm. engage in occupations that you, you you want so what about you um charlie do you how, how do you think that deprivation impacts some of the prisoners that you've worked with previously or are working with now? I think it's just a really, like Kate said, just a really interesting point um, about like, that level of de- deprivation and getting used, almost used to it. And it's almost like a way of life of that is the way they live. So it's fine. You know, a lot of it's, I don't know if it's worrying, scary, sad, the fact that people like prison the prisoners like prison and they like this the structure and what it offers them and like you say about that maybe it is that de-skilling thing that they do like is that the fact that they get things done for them or you know when they don't have to think about real life stuff I'm I don't know I, I guess that's a question but yeah I think it's just really and we try actively to like avoid that impact of deprivation don't we by encouraging people to engage in in activities or engage them to in do work or education but it's whether they want to do that as well I mean we do encourage all the lads to do some sort of work usually pre-covid our our prison um, no one should be just sitting in their cell all day but you know it's hard it's a difficult situation it's difficult to treat everyone the same everyone should be doing that because everyone's got their own issues and I know that when to try and overcome some of the occupational deprivation we've done a the recovery through activity group again pre-covid and that worked really well to kind of explore some of them activities and occupations that people had just forgotten about that was part of who they were so when we were discussing some of i was quite reluctant to do the vocational sessions because i thought that that could end quite negatively and um, because when you talk about work and things people can be quite negative about that but it was a really good session and people really thought about what they'd done before and what they would like to do in the future and and that the prison didn't def- and the prison label didn't define who they were and they could do something more and it gave people hope and I think that's a potential way of occupational therapy coming in isn't it is that we can give people that hope um, to explore what they might have done before because not many people ask you know who are you apart from being in prison until this date and what else do you like to do no yeah, yeah you're so absolutely... I think I went off piece then a bit but... no you didn't you didn't <laughs> I think that's a that's a fantastic and, I, and you know it's an opportunity for occupational therapists to to grab that and and sort of run with it uh, mm. because like I keep going back to these guys will come out eventually and yeah? as, as hard as the probation services work and you know they're under pressure as well right they're, they're, they're under pressure as well to you know, look, look after so many people that come out of prison so actually helping people before they come out of prison to find find themselves a little bit um yeah. to encourage them give them hope to be able to explore things that they might have done previously or new things that they might not even have thought yeah. about it's, it's, it's always a positive thing isn't it so i just i hope 
uh, well I, I know we're all trying we're all trying and there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a there's a bit of a group of occupational therapists working in prison services which is um we, we, we you know we're trying our best now I, I, I don't know how much research is going on with occupational therapy in prison services but I think it's a, it's a place for us to start in terms mm -hmm. of identity occupational deprivation the impact on it and actually what just like we just discussed here about how some prisoners like that that uh, identity how mm -hmm. then how then does it impact them when they leave that's that's a re good way mm -hmm. to look at it um, Katie you know you mentioned your in the police <laughs> experience <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, before can you just expand on that a little bit what what what, what was it what was it about how was it like spending time in that prison and then how have you used some of that experiences in the work that you're doing now so it was not long before I was about to qualify I applied in a Royal College of Occupational Therapy through the, the funding opportunities so I thought I'd like to go abroad somewhere and experience OT in a different part of the world to kind of explore different cultures and how I find OT even in even in the UK, there's still a lot of barriers, isn't there? And trying to explain what OT is. I think sometimes, some days, I don't even know what, what it is we do. You get that caught up in everything. Um, so I wanted to see how it was being used in other parts of the world. So I found a, a small charity in Gorka, which is a rural part of Nepal. And they normally take on uh, medical students for volunteering opportunities in hospitals out there. But I remember coming across the site and there was a, just a line at the bottom that said that they'd recently made contact with one of the local prisons out there for future projects and that's all it said so I kind of honed in on that and put a proposal together sent it to the the charity and then wrote it all up and sent it to RCOT not really expecting anything back for it that was in the September and then the January I got an email to say you've been given this fund and here you go go do it so <laughs> that was a bit of a shock to actually receive it so then I spent a month over there really it was a prison there was a split into two to look at the prison when I first went it kind of looked like a, a derelict building on the side of a mountain surrounded in barbed wire is the best way <laughs> I could explain it really it housed I think it was 78 men on one side of the prison and then eight women in the other side I think that the interestingly enough the women actually um, there were a few babies in the prison so over there they kind of see the value in um, children not being taken away from their parents I did make a few links with a charity that I just started out there to try and build housing kind of like support for the children to live near the prison and then being able to go in and visit the their parents each day in the prison rather than having to be in that environment as well because as you can imagine it wasn't the most nurturing environment. When it was agreed there was a change in politics over there so when I got there they were kind of skeptical about someone going in in case I was going to go speak about politics and cause a bit of a <laughs> chaos over there so I had to meet with the a head of police and head of the, the prison service with an interpreter at the time which was quite stressful but managed to eventually get permission to go inside. The men were like really welcoming and they did. They already had some funding for a seamstress to go in one day a month. So we were able to actually get that over to the female side as well. But interestingly enough, when I walked in, there was about 78 men all with machetes. Wow. <laughs> they actually spent their time making these kind of colourful wicker stools. So it was, it was kind of... <laughs> Quite funny in terms of the whole wicker basket and OT history. Um, they were spending all the time making these stools to then sell. You'd see them all over the villages around the area. And they'd sell that and they'd use the money to send out to the family members. But through discussions with the men, we were able to provide some services to get health-wise to get clean drinking water in there for them. And they a lot of them wanted kind of some library resources. So we were able to fund and get a charity together to start donating books to kind of create their own library in there. Mm. And then we provided and put on some like creative sessions, art sessions for the men and, and then sports equipment as well to set up a bit of structure and routine around exercise in there. As apart from 
they had one big living space, which was an outdoor courtyard where they'd be working all day. And then the other part was basically another concrete concrete room where 78 men all slept just on the floor next to each other. They're a bit stark in contrast to prison system here but yeah no. put in a few changes but it was a, a challenging time but i'm glad i done it but i was glad to get home after sleeping with cockroaches and <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds that sounds so cool i mean it's just it's i'm listening to you i think it's so 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 different to how um, yeah. um uh, how the prison system is is here uh, even when you're talking about you know wicker baskets and the guys will spend all day <laughs> you know making things like like that and if we go back in history in occupational therapy you know that old um uh, mary o'reilly saying a, a man with his hands uh, it's got his, his health and well-being inside so like people doing yeah. things with their hands and actually uh, mm-hmm. you know selling this to the local community yeah. I, I think it's fantastic in a way but you know i don't know about <laughs> the, <Yeah>. the machetes <laughs> everyone having machetes hanging around in there so i suppose that, that's a lot of trust that is given to the the, the people well the office the, the guards had um, guns so wow okay okay so <laughs> it's more yeah i felt more at risk from the guards than than the men themselves so <laughs> uh, nah, that was that's a that's a fantastic experience and i yeah. i how did it so that was how many years ago was that roughly that was three and a half years ago now okay yeah how how do you feel that it shaped your the way you work now do you feel it has any impact or not at all really i feel like it it pushed me to to be very occupationally focused probably even more so than i'm able to right now in my role but it just kind of showed the importance of that Mm. within the role of OT just something we've always got to kind of have going on in in the background haven't we pushed towards working in that way kind of breaking it down back to the fundamentals of our profession really there's also I think taking on people you're working with as well taking on their cultural values as well over there they family was the number one priority really in terms of keeping the children with the um, individuals themselves and everything was stem back to supporting the families in the community such as the wicker baskets and also the the sewing they had going on in there traditionally in Nepal one of the main vocations was to have sewing kind of you'd see a lot of like tailor kind of shops around the local villages so that was kind of their their main vocation over there so it was keeping their occupation within the prison so when they returned to the community they'd had they'd pick up the skills in that environment to support them back in the community which I feel is quite integral really in working in prison population so men can actually go into I guess work that is legal and socially acceptable when they leave prison because it can be a big barrier can't it yeah having that Hundred percent, hundred percent. That's fun. That's great. And Charlie, do you think we're ever going to get to that stage of getting some of our the men that we work with in the prison service? You know, doing things, you know, for the community and helping them build those skills inside, so that they can, you know, access the the widest community when they come out. You know, skills <laughs> skills like what Katie was talking about. Yeah, because I think that you know, I think it's a great thing that you did, Katie, and it sounds really exciting and like you know, a great opportunity to just have that idea to start off with. <laughs> I think that we can all say that we want to do like different things, but like with one thing and another, it can be really hard, can't it? If you mm-hmm. don't, if you can't do that, and I think just by doing that and being somewhere with almost nothing really is making you really grateful for what you've got you know I know we've made jokes in this about you know the fact that the the lads that we have here and our prisons aren't too far apart is so different in comparison um and what they have and haven't got but at least they've got something they've got their own space they've got shelter they've got warmth they've got some of those basic human rights that we would want and clean water because you mentioned that as well and that's really important and I just think it's that's the real thing, isn't it, about being grateful and that gratitude for what we have got. You know, if it's just those th- those small things, we can we have got them that we can use. Mm-hmm. Um, but in regards to the skills for the community, the original question, sorry, going off again. <laughs> um, I think that that we do have that. I mean, I know that where the prison where I work, we've got a lot of like manufacturing. We do a lot of tailoring. We do um, welding. They do woodwork. They do other skill-based activities where you know they can get those qualifications and use them when they are released and I think you know it isn't 
exactly what we would do, but it, it, there is opportunities, isn't there, in the community to do those skill those skill works. So, and I think we have the opportunities, just whether people take them and are given the chance, I guess, when they get out as well. Because it's okay ha learning them here and getting level two, level, NVQ level two, but if no one gives you a job when you're out, it's almost a pointless exercise. Um, I know there's some, some companies that do offer, you know, prisoners extra opportunities, which is, you know, really, really valuable but obviously not not everyone you know recently i've been thinking about like you know my role you know going forward in a few years and where i would like to work or all that kind of things and i think i think actually having a if, if it can ever be made a role whereby we we have input inside the prison um, mm -hmm. and also input outside the prison so maybe yeah. having people seeing people through the gate maybe on a on a year uh, um, like six months prior to their release, six months after their release, because I think that's that's a crucial time yeah. for people to hone in all those skills that they might have learned with us or yeah. in the prison services and actually advocating for them in the community to get those type of skilled jobs or even if it's not those skilled jobs, something that they can transfer yeah. some of those skills to or some yeah. of the anxieties that they might face when they are leaving prison and actually how do they manage it when they do eventually come out of prison because when you when you think about people that have been in prison for a long time you know it, it's quite scary it's quite a scary thing to come out <laughs> into the community mm -hmm. when you know you might not have a lot of family support let's say or even if you do have family support it's, it's you know everyone's, everyone's quite busy and it's quite it's quite difficult to help someone all the time or you might not even know some of the simple things around your local area and it takes a while to do that so uh, yeah that's what I've been, I've been thinking and I don't know if anyone is in that role as, as, as an occupational therapist in that role because I know some charities do it but I don't know if there's anyone employed as mm -hmm. an occupational therapist doing that so maybe that's a, that's an area we can all start thinking about developing you know or yeah. adding into yeah. services um yeah that's it I think that would be an ex excellent uh role so if it, that is the integral part isn't it really and I feel just after release is mm -hmm. the riskiest part for these men. I've been looking into it myself recently. I think that's my going to be my focus now is to try and set up a group intervention for the men who have been in the prison service for a long time or also those men who we kind of see who keep being released and then being recalled quite frequently. So myself and a colleague have been speaking about trying to set up maybe like a eight to ten week intervention plan with areas around vocation, managing anxiety, mm. all these different aspects and skills that they might need. So, like you said, some of these men have been in, say, one of the men I'm working with at the moment has been in for 12 years. So wow. if you think about the changes our society's had in that time since he was last out in the community, that can be a huge anxiety or a huge barrier for men as well particularly in terms of technology and things mm. um, so we can better prepare these men for that transition I think that would be key for yeah, that's I think that's definitely a role for occupational therapy yeah. and I know Charlie you were talking just briefly about how you use the recovery through activity program um, mm -hmm. development I, I know you I know you recently had your article in the OT news which was a fantastic read so thank you for doing that for starters thank you for running the group and thank you for writing about it because you know it helps it helps you know when we when we other occupational therapists are trying to establish different groups in the prison you know she use it as like evidence um but how tell me if you could tell me a little bit more about how to do I know you mentioned that you, you found it a little bit difficult talking about some of the vocational uh, session plans and activities that you had in mind with that but in general how did you feel using it like a fairly structured piece of intervention in in that in that setting as an occupational therapist I think um it worked well I mean I, I have to hold my hands up that it was like my students idea really of <laughs> and I wouldn't take credit for it um, it was my students idea of kind of something that she wanted to do and kind of I'd not known much about it so I was like oh teach me tell me about it and um, she explained like this way it's set out and you know the different activities and how we could do it so we kind of thought about it together and kind of moved forward from that and I guess it was it was good to offer that like structured intervention because it gave you that plan of how to move forward. I think something that we thought about how we could deliver it to the lads and how we would make it user friendly for the prison population, I guess, and um, because some of the things that we'd found in it weren't weren't applicable. We didn't we felt that they weren't 
suitable for our lads so how would we move forward and I guess we thought more creatively about what we could do and offer those activities so we chose the active so the the group books in in sections and we, we chose the activities that we felt the lads would be most likely to do and like I say I think I was quite anxious about doing vocation because the lads can be quite negative you know I've always been on the dole I don't work I don't need to work I get benefits and I was a bit worried about that that might raise some conflict in regards to you know well you could work and this is what you could do um, but actually it was session, that session was really, really valuable. And like I said, one of the lads spoke about how he'd been a chef in the past and, you know, it's something that he'd always wanted to do. And then when we spoke more about it, he'd been making things, this won't sound unusual to, I'm sure you and Katie, but um, making things in his kettle, which sounds odd to everyone else that I say it to. <laughs> And, and being really creative in that respect. And we were like saying that you're still doing that like vocation and that occupation now, and you're just doing it in a different way. And, you know, and, and the people praising him for the food he'd created and stuff. And we were saying how good that was and how you know beneficial it was and encouraging him almost to do that a little bit more, just to boost his own identity, like we, like we were saying, and kind of boost his own self-confidence. Um, and it wasn't us going, you know, we must do this, it was quite, like getting from like A to B, A to B, and then him doing it himself. So it was just a really nice group to do. And it, like I say, it led you through with the groups and the key messages that it has in the book. So it was really useful. And it was well taken by the lads. Like I say, when you do any group in prison, you can kind of be a little bit anxious, well, any group anywhere, I guess, about how it's going to be um, perceived and how are you going to move forward with it. And it's quite an anxiety provoking thing as a facilitator, because you think, this could either go really well or could end up in a bit of a riot. <laughs> but it worked really well and we did it only a very small group, as we said in in the OT News, and we adapted it to, to the lads that we had in the group. So we did like a getting to know you session where we kind of found out about the lads and we, and we worked with some of the stuff then. So it gave us a bit of a platform where it did get a bit you know, we might not have any conversation points of saying, oh, remember when you said that, or you did that, or this is what you do, um, and kind of bring things through. So it was a really nice, nice programme. Um, and like I say, the, the prisoners really enjoyed it, the lads that did it. And they, you know, one of them was saying, oh, when are you doing that group again? And I was like, well, you've already done it. And he's like, I'll do it again. I'm like, no, that's kind of not the point. But <laughs> it was great feedback from them. And just about, you know, they always came out and, and in it, I don't know if I'd wrote this in the article or not, um, but we did it at the same time. This is purely coincidental. At the same time as the managers meeting that happened in healthcare down the corridor. And there was always laughing and joking. And, and the healthcare manager was like, I can always just hear like really good fun coming from your session. I want to be in that session. You know, it makes you be some, want to be somewhere. And that was a really nice thing because it meant that they were enjoying themselves. And Typical OTs, we all got involved in the activities. None of us sat there and didn't do anything. You know, we were all equally making a fool of ourselves. So yeah, of <laughs> it always helps the participation part of it, doesn't it? Of just getting involved yourself. And I think that's what OTs are sometimes really good at. We'll just kind of get involved and our counterparts might not. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really good. Um, that's, uh, you know, I had an interest in that. I know I, I contacted you not a, a while back and I had an interest in that. I really wanted to, because I already run a, a group um, which was like an introduction group to the service, um, mm -hmm. like, like a, a, a quite low-level group, just to get some of the men more comfortable uh, in group sessions for starters. Um, so, but I wanted to adapt it, you because know, I, was, I was leading it, it was my group, so I wanted to adapt it and make it a very much an occupational, uh, occupational therapy focused. And I, I looked at that um, recovery through activity, wanted to adapt it. So definitely, I'm, I think when when we are able to run groups again, that's one one of the things in my priority list. To, uh, mm. to to see if I can run it because I think it would be really interesting to run it in my population, my, like the, the young men as well, because it, it's, some of the things in there might be quite different for them when you talk about even vocation. Some might be quite difficult for them um, to yeah. think about, but actually it's something that they need to start thinking about because these things can come around quite quickly. You know, your release mm. dates can come around quite quickly and if you don't have an opportunity to 
think about that you might come a little bit unstuck when you're when you're out and about so talking about you know you talk about being creative in your practice in general Katie I'm going to put you on the spot here (laughs) (laughs) talking about creativity in occupational therapy what have you used any creative activities interventions so how how creative have you been or have you been allowed to be in the prison setting unfortunately I've came in to the prison setting smack bang this year during covid so i've been very restricted in how creative i could be unfortunately i think we're trying to make links now that have you either of you heard about men in sheds before yeah yeah Yeah. we're trying to get them to make links and to be able to provide kind of input with the men within within prison i know we i think all prisons engage with the is it chrysler chrysler awards yeah chrysler awards yeah chrysler awards yeah and i think we were trying to because we've got a lot of um ptsd and trauma we do have a veteran wing within berwin i'm trying to make links at the moment with veterans wales as well to see if we can get any kind of input and support from them so unfortunately i've not i've not had much chance to be creative in berwin but i think Working in forensics in general, I think I used to, my most uh, creative thing I used to do was use climbing as a form of intervention and therapy with the men, which I miss. But mm-hmm. I guess in, in secure forensics, you've got a bit more scope. I don't think there'd be up for me putting a climbing wall in there when anything. Yeah, time soon, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> climbing's probably a no-go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the impact that I had on men was tremendous. So, uh, yeah. I, I could try. I could try. <laughs> you could. Hey, listen. I don't know how you do it, but you know, one of the things that I've seen in another, like I saw a documentary one time, and there was a prison uh, doing like parkour. You know, when the guys jump over. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then they would obviously they set it up, set it up in the in the gym, like a sports hall space, and that, I think that that was fantastic to see as well. But yeah, yeah I, no. I don't, I don't. You, so you could potentially do I some form of climbing. In the gym. Yeah, you you could do something. But yeah, one, one my manager always tells me, you know, that whatever suggestion you're gonna make, someone is gonna say no. Um, <laughs> but you <laughs> you just have to you just have to be very creative in how you like you know talk about it mm-hmm. um, what about you Charlie what, what, what other creative activities or interventions have you used in in your practice since you've been um, I think pre-COVID I say, keep saying pre-COVID sorry I'm like because there is a distinguished difference from the 23rd of March so pre-COVID we did obviously the recovery for activity group and trying to be creative in that we were we also had a really good opportunity of getting a um, external group um, into the prison, which involved a lot of organisation to get a, a gamelan equipment into the prison. So run by Good Vibrations and got the got 10, 15 lads on the group. So we were able to do sort of a creative drumming. Well, it's a bit more than drumming. I don't want to just say drum. <laughs> it's a musical group and we created music and it was such a nice environment to work it to work in for that week they came for a week the lads got a qualification from it and for teamwork we produced our own music we created a cd the lads got to be really creative some of the lads that were in the group were liked music anyway and did a lot of music and creative writing so they got to implement that into into the work so it was just a really good opportunity and something lovely to be involved in and you know in that I think it sounds really cheesy but it was you know you could have been anywhere in that hall where we were in you know we were in the old brickworks it was horrible it was dusty it was cold but it didn't matter because what we were doing was like occupation and it really came out that you know how important occupation was in people's well-being and you know offering that opportunity to some people who've lived lives that might not have been able to have those opportunities and I think since Covid you know we've tried to be as creative as possible I know I'm constantly probably on Twitter just asking for resources trying to like steal beg borrow and steal everything that we can and to try and you know give the lads something to do and be as creative as we can in the current environment in the current climate I guess which can be quite tricky but you know we just have to do what we can do 
you're right you're right and i suppose it's one of those things that we, we're very skilled at you know you know i think it's in our professional um standards actually uh, thinking back now so and it's it asks you to be as creative as possible in your with with, with limited resources as, as possible and i suppose we're all in the right place to be as creative as as we can in very limited um places like even in terms yeah. of um, therapy spaces like being mm. in an old bricks bricks workshop or our rooms that we use are just old converted cells so everything is quite small um so you have to be creative in the way you, you you do interventions i'm very lucky we've got um we have a garden space that we we try to uh, you know do gardening sessions in so that's that's really good for the guys to, to the young men to be outside uh, outside of their cell but not and being in the environment you know um, uh, doing some gardening and also we get to like sit down and have a cup of tea together uh, this is all pre-covid <laughs> pre-covid yeah i just hope covid can go away so we can get back to doing some of the um some of the creative activities that we we were able to do in the session because you know it really brings out a different side to the guys you know you really do yeah. see a different side to them when they're engaging like you said you, you heard a lot of laughter uh, in your groups that you was doing and it's, it's just fantastic to see a different side of them actually uh, th that maybe you might not have um, seen if it was just a one-to-one mm. -one talking session yeah. you know um, so that's really fantastic well uh, honestly thank you so much uh both of you uh, you, I, I, you know i love talking about prison and occupational <laughs> therapy so we I suppose we probably sit here and talk <laughs> talk all day about um the impact of occupational therapy in prisons but just one last question one last question before uh we, we leave and maybe that might lead on to us actually all of us getting involved in doing some form of research but how else can ot make an impact in the prison environment i'll go to you first katie I think there's a lot of scope for um, sensory integration within the prison environment. I'm currently doing the practitioner training myself now, but I feel a lot of the men, there's a lot of self-harm in the prison population, not just in terms of the men under the mental health radar, but the general population. There's a lot of um, kind of need for support around emotional regulation with these, with the men. I think, did you say something about in your place you do sensory century circuit yeah yes yeah, yeah. we we we're very fortunate to do to be able to do that we're actually my my senior ot she is she's done the uh, sensory modulation the sensory module one that i think you might yeah. be doing um and then yeah she then the ot that was there previous to her had that as well so they set up a very a, a good sensory pathway for the young men but yeah you're right sensory mm -hmm. work in the prison will be yeah. fantastic had briefly had a bit of involvement in MDT meetings with healthcare and prison prison staff and the, an individual himself who um, his kind of self harm was escalating to become quite risky. But he then agreed to meet with myself and um, done a sensory profile more and just kind of education and information for him and then for the prisoners, the prison officers who were supporting him as well, just to kind of go through some different coping mechanisms he could do to kind of regulate himself before he got to the point of self-harm. And so that's been received quite positively. And um, mm. it's just kind of the, the first step, I think, for trying getting central integration noticed in this environment. I do think there'd be a lot of benefit to it. And probably linking in as well with the, the yeah, physical education staff as well in terms of using it in terms of like a kind of anger management and um, sessions they do as well through using physical activity. They could link in part of sensory modulation. That would probably be, yeah, be great, really. Yeah, yeah. That, that, is a, that is an important area. And I think definitely that's an area that um, we can have an impact in and maybe it just requires more research and more interventions yeah. in that area to to re recognize the real impact it's having on the because we can take um, narratives from the young men and, and, and also the people they work with um, but I think it probably requires uh, more research just to establish that role and actually that might give mm -hmm. the, you know the prison service or the healthcare services in the prison more scope and more grounding to employ occupational therapists directly for that type of work so now nah, that's definitely important mm -hmm. uh, what about you charlie what do you what do you I think? was just listening to your your conversation about sensory integration i've done sensory integration i've done sensory integration module one two three. Oh um, wow <laughs> yeah um, and i'm really keen to know how to use it in prison because i'm really struggling with the lack of um resources and how we assess and provide intervention so that's probably another another story for another day yeah. 
Because I feel like that could be another hour conversation. <laughs> That's a lot of editing for you to do. <laughs> um, so I, I just think that I think our main, for me, I think my future in, in OT and, and working in prison is about people understanding what I do and being really clear on that and being really strong about what I do and implementing some more of that occupational focused activity to my day. Um, so, you know, saying no to the anxiety management and, you know, managing emotion stuff to say yet yeah, more to the um, occupational focused stuff, because that's stuff that is what I'm meant to be doing. I think, you know, that's where I'm getting lost. So personally, I think that's something I feel as, as I do that, it would offer more opportunities to the lads and offer more opportunities for more of a vocational activity. I'm just thinking about your gardening, like you said, about, you know, I have a yard outside because we have an old healthcare building. How I can, you've got my mind going, how I can start that as a, a project and start people getting people outside. Because even with COVID, we can go outside, can't we? So, yeah. <laughs> you know, and thinking we're outside the box, I guess, like that. And if there's stuff I can do, and it's been really nice to have this conversation, to have other ideas, I guess, and bounce ideas off. Nice, no, fantastic. And I think also the reassurance that, no one's got it in regards to like, I'm sitting here going, Katie's going to tell me she's got all these plans as an OT programme and, and I'm going to feel so yeah. And actually what's happened is I've just gone, phew, I feel okay. Everyone's just at the same point. We're all a bit like, we want to move forward and we just need to. And it's still like such a, such a baby area for OT. Um, you know, it isn't a well-known, established area like forensics or mental or mental health or physical health or stroke or anything like that. We're still at that really early stage of how we can move forward. And I think everyone does things differently as well, which creates, and everyone's in different roles. So it's just how we work together and take ideas off each other. Uh, yeah. no, that's that's what I think that's the way forward. I think like what you've done by writing the article is really, really important. And I, we just need more of, prison-based occupational therapists to write about it more you know do little small research projects or small audits auditing projects you know mm -hmm. write narratives from the men because that's that's the only way we can you know really establish the role in the prison services because it's true everyone is doing their own thing it's just fantastic but actually we need the wider prison system to understand the impact that we can have and then and then go ahead and employ more occupational therapists for the prison service not just in healthcare like my, my dream would be if we had endless money it would be occupational very based on each wing and actually working with the older men not just the men on the radar of mental health services or in mm. your services in the prison because I think every single person in, in prison or most people in prison would benefit from some form of input from an occupational therapist like especially in terms of maybe transitioning out of prison especially as well without some of the support that they might not get um, as well so honestly thank you so much for joining me taking the time out to join me and i really hope that everyone listening you know enjoyed it as well and if you have any questions i'm pretty sure you can get in contact with myself uh, and, and then now we, we we can answer them for you as well so thank you very much for joining me thank you thank you thank you so much katie and charlotte for explaining your role describing some of the difficulties you guys face and also some of the opportunities for the future of occupational therapy in these settings thank you so much and guys if you've made it this far thank you so much for listening you must be enjoying the podcast and all the content being provided please share with colleagues friends or anyone that might be interested in it Please rate and review on Apple Podcast if that's where you listen to it so more people can hear about it. Until next time, stay safe.